Great. Our reading tonight is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Um, as Stephen said, my name's Daniel, and, or Dan, I used to work in advertising, which means you can trust everything I say from this point onwards. It's absolutely fine. I'm training to be a vicar, it's okay. Um, so last Sunday, something incredible happened in the evening. We saw over the city of Oxford the most beautiful, most loopiest, most vibrant rainbow that I'd ever seen. Hands up who saw this rainbow. I've got a photo for you guys. And it wasn't just any rainbow, was it? It was, it was a double rainbow. Who saw it? It's a double rainbow, and it wasn't just any double rainbow. It was during golden hour. <laughs> and I'm a photographer, and this got me incredibly excited, so here are some photos. And on one side, you had this incredible double rainbow, on the other side, you had the sky on fire. Beautiful. I mean, that is beautiful. And it, it was a moment of concentrated enchantment and beauty and encounter. The whole city was arrested for a moment, and it was as if, you know, something just was drawn out of us, something that we kind of felt like we lost, a sense of wonder, childlikeness, inspiration. It cut through. And I wondered to myself, what was going on in that moment? And I think what was going on was two things. First, there was a profound knowledge in that moment. We saw something with our eyes, something that we've always known. Light has got the spectrum of colors, but in that moment, we knew that to be true in a different way. And secondly, there was a profound power in that moment. Something cut through the cynicism and the mundane of our modern life. And all we could do, the only appropriate response in that moment was to marvel, to be in awe, to post on Instagram immediately. German philosopher von Hildebrand talks about these moments as um, being exposed to the full dramatic reality, um, full dramatic reality of the world, a moment of clarity. One comment says that these moments are leading you back to what you have lost. And I'm starting with this rainbow because I think it was a real symbol for what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian and in, the, in our passage today. We're currently exploring this series on the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does in the life of faith. And there are so many different ways the Spirit is described in the Bible. The Spirit gives life, he is creator, he is healer, he is helper, he opens up the Bible, he is like wind, he's like fire. And the common feature of all these different kinds of images is that the Spirit is dynamic. He is always moving and he is near. He is related to our direct experience of the world. And the church has always understood the Holy Spirit uh, as our point of contact with God in the here and now. So if Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection 
was past events that changed history forever. The Holy Spirit makes those past events into a present reality in our life today. And in our passage today, in 1 Colossians 9 to 12, I want to draw out two key themes uh, about the Holy Spirit. The first that is that the Holy Spirit fills us with the knowledge of God. And second, the Holy Spirit fills us with the power of God. And I think these two themes are incredibly important for us today because only with the knowledge and the power of God can we even hope to go the distance in the life of faith. So what I want to say to you in a really short abstract would be um, the Holy Spirit fills us with knowledge and power so that we can have faith that can go the distance. So first, the Spirit fills us with the knowledge of God. In verse nine, we read this. We, that's Paul and his team, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Have you thought for a moment how audacious it is that Christians like us, we say that we know God? That somehow, us human beings, us 21st century beings, have some kind of access with the creator of the universe. Not just any kind of access of an abstract knowledge, but this deep, intimate connection with him that as father, as king, as mentor, as friend. It's amazing. But sometimes we forget how amazing that is. And when that happens, we can get dissatisfied and complacent. And then one of two things can happen. The first is that we might be tempted to go beyond Jesus, almost graduate from Jesus. And that's kind of what began to happen in the church of the Colossians in our reading today. The Colossians was a church community in the city of Colossae, which is today modern-day southern Turkey. And we don't know very much about this city, but what we do know about this community is that they were under a certain amount of cultural and religious and spiritual pressure. The rest of the letter kind of cues us into certain clues that suggests that there were a group of teachers, either inside or outside the church, who were saying that knowing Jesus was not enough. That to somehow graduate to a higher level of Christianity, you had to bolt on different kinds of esoteric or religious festivals. So you have examples like worshiping different kinds of angels or keeping certain festivals throughout the year, or having more mystical experiences. And Paul's aim in the entire book of Colossians is essentially to say, Jesus is enough. Nothing more, nothing less. And the Holy Spirit's job is to always point our eyes towards Jesus. And I do think we need to take this message to heart today, really meaningfully, because there are always temptations to go beyond Jesus, particularly in the information age when we have access to basically infinite information. And as moderns, we are always programmed to think that the new is always better. New philosophies, new ideas, new mystical experiences. And Paul knows this. He writes in 2.8, see to it that nobody takes, captive, takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The Holy Spirit will always remind us that Jesus is enough. He is the knowledge of God. Everything we need to know about God is in Jesus. 
But that doesn't mean that our knowledge of God is this static, rigid thing. Because if one danger of, is being tempted to go beyond Jesus, the other danger is that we can stop seeking God as if we know everything there is to know about God. And when that happens, when we think we know, know everything about God, faith begins to harden, lose that sparkle, and eventually die. Forgiveness can become a formula, church becomes a social club, and Jesus ceases to be a present reality and becomes a figure of history. And I've seen this happen time and time again in people I've you know, prayed with, worshiped with, and, and dreamt with. Faith just hardens and dies. There's an anthropologist called um, Tanya Lerman, and she studies the ways in which people come to know God, believe in God. And she's not a Christian, but she spent a lot of time with Christian communities around the world, as well as Buddhists and Muslims and Zoroastrians and all kinds of other faith communities. And she wrote this book recently called When God Becomes Real. And her core insight in this book is that actually, it is really easy to start believing in God, actually. But it's really difficult to sustain that belief. And for humans to have this sustained relationship with an invisible God, that God needs to become real to us again and again and again. And she writes this, the task for a person of faith, that's you and me here, is to not just believe that God is there in some abstract way, but that this God matters in the here and now. And not just that you know that he is real the way your floor is real, but that he feels real the way your mother's love feels real. There are always two kinds of knowing, isn't there? Knowing abstracts, ideas, and then knowing a person. Knowing God should be like knowing a person. And this is where the Holy Spirit does his most incredible work in the life of faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes God real to us in our experience. It's like that rainbow, you know, we come to know what we've always known in a new and powerful and dramatic new way. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I know for me, certainly, um, the most profound moments I've ever had in my faith have been when the simplest truths begin to strike a different kind of chord in me. And even recently, I've been reflecting on this really simple phrase. Um, the phrase is, kind, beautiful Jesus. It's not revolutionary, it's not like a theological you know, treatise, it's just a simple phrase, kind, beautiful Jesus. But recently, it's just bringing something out of me that's like, ah, oh, that's a new thing. And it's striking when you read some of the books written by the old saints that they always come back to the simplest phrases that continue to ring true. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Lord is my shepherd, my God, my God. Old truth, but new knowledge. And it is important, of course, that we have good theology about God because it's important that we know what kind of God we worship. But when Paul prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of God, he's not saying that we would come to have more facts about God, but he's saying that we would come to know him in, an, in a new and profound and vibrant way, that the same truths would continue to hit different throughout our lives. The objective historical truth of the gospel never changes, 
But, th but this truth needs to be experienced again and again if we all have to have a faith that will last a lifetime. The Holy Spirit fills us with the knowledge of God. Secondly, the Spirit fills us with the power of God. So knowledge happens inside us, in our heads, in our hearts, in our souls, but knowledge is not enough. Because just because you know something to be true, even in the deepest part of your hearts, doesn't mean you always follow through on it. Often it feels like we need a different kind of power within us to make internal commitments into external realities. Do you feel that? You know, we like to talk about power a lot nowadays. Um, in certain circles, power is a big deal, and different kinds of power exist, doesn't it? Political power, being in the room where it happens to influence society. Social power, having charisma and the kind of social lubrication to be able to shape people's opinion in the room. Um, economic power, using financial leverage to get, choose what's funded and what isn't funded. We talk about willpower a lot nowadays. If you have a good morning routine, a good flow state, a great work ethic, then you will be able to become the person you've always wanted to be. And we talk about power dynamics, the way power is used between different parties. And I think a lot of the angst and anxiety we feel today as a society is because we've become so skeptical and disillusioned by these different kinds of human powers doesn't seem to bring the change we want to see in the world. And it seems as though it's more often abused than used wisely and benevolently for the world. And Paul knows this, that these human powers just don't really get us forwards. Which is why in verse 11, Paul prays that the church would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God's power. And what kind of power is this? In Ephesians 1, Paul again writes, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's that power. And in Romans 6, 10 to 11, he writes, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. We don't rely as Christians on our own power because it will never be enough. The vision, the call, the scope of Christianity is so wide, so big, so universal that it can never be achieved through any kind of human means. And in fact, the times when the church has made its biggest mistakes have been when the church has relied on human powers rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the most beautiful thing about the power of the Spirit is that it's not given only to impressive extroverted, type A, leadery types. It's distributed amongst the people of God for the building up of community and for the blessing of the world. The power of the Spirit is never wielded by the powerful. The power of the Spirit is released amongst the humble. The power of the Spirit never conceals truth and panders to the majority. The power of the Spirit always speaks truth in courageous love. How important is that today? The power of the Spirit is never abusive. The power of the Spirit always works for the restoration of souls and families. You know, St. Aldate is often called a, um, a charismatic church. 
Anyone heard of that word? Maybe yes, maybe no, charismatic. Um, and it's often used to describe a certain kind of um, style of church, often uh, lots of music, certain kinds of songs, um, a certain emphasis on kind of our emotional experience, but that isn't what makes a church charismatic. The word charismatic comes from the Greek word charism or charisma, and it's um, a Greek word used in the Bible to talk about um, these supernatural gifts given by the Holy Spirit as a grace for the church to bless the world. Gifts like healing, prophecy, tongues and sanctification and virtues like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, these things. And charismatic means that we believe in St. Aldate's that the power of the Holy Spirit is still at work in a real way today as it was 2,000 years ago. That the same Jesus who healed the blind, the lame, and the leper, and who spoke words that cut into the hearts and minds of his listeners is still speaking and healing today through the Holy Spirit. And personally, I can't not be a charismatic um, because I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen people healed miraculously of addiction in a single night. I've seen people, you know, knees, shooting pains in knees, go after a single time of prayer. I can't tell you why he heals sometimes and not other times, but I can tell you that I've seen this. And I've also been in services where the best sermon could have been preached, but actually what cuts through is that gentle whisper from a prayer ministry team just saying something to me that they felt the Lord say to them, and it just unravels me. And I also know that I'm not strong enough to become the kind of person that I want to become, someone whose natural disposition to the world and other people is love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, someone who keeps his promises, someone who gets up on a Monday morning and says, thank you, God, rather than complain. I need help. And I need a power greater than my own willpower to overcome my temper, my anger, my cynicism, my greed, and my inner critic who just bleeds out on the people I love around me. And I also know that there are some kinds of suffering in this world that no human power can really face up to and, and deal with. This week, there was a top story on the BBC um, of someone whose fiance tragically and suddenly died on the morning of their wedding day. And it was a top story for a while, and I think it's because people seeing that headline, like me, just had this moment of utter disbelief, just imagining what that was like. How does anyone come back from that? You know, there are things that keep us up at night. There are things that can break the human spirit. You know, I recently came across a quote that said, um, nothing is more powerful than the human spirit. And I think our culture buys into this. You know, it's in our films, our cinema, our TV, our music, and it's a good sentiment. You know, the idea being that despite everything, despite all the chaos, despite the world gone mad, human courage, human ingenuity, human capacity for kindness and hope will always overcome evil. That somehow, what doesn't kill us will always make us stronger. It's hopeful. And it is beautiful, but it's kind of wrong. And maybe I'm a bit of a realist to, to buy into that, because there are things that can kill us, um, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, 
physically. And there are things that can break the human spirit to the point of no return. Without the power of God, there is just no guarantee that the future will be any brighter than the past. There's just no guarantee that somehow the ultimate end of history will result in anything beautiful. This sentiment can't face up to that headline. We need the power of the Spirit, the power to resist the evil that we see around us, the power to resist the evil we see inside of us, the power to resist despair and cynicism and becoming jaded. A Christian or a church without the power of the Spirit is like a pair of lungs with its air sucked right out of it. It's gonna collapse in its own atmospheric pressure. We don't need more human powers. Instead, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrection power, the power of God, so that God can demonstrate in us and through us and around us that he is indeed at work today and that good has and does and will indeed triumph over evil. So the Holy Spirit fills us with the power of God, the knowledge of God and the power of God. Um, when I was working in advertising, we always used to ask a question um, when anybody gave a great presentation to say, so what? So what? And the people I admire most in life are those people in their 80s and 70s who still have that sparkle of faith. You know what I mean? People you look at and they still have this joy and this lightness about them and this kind of sparkle in their eyes that when they talk about Jesus, there's a sense of wonder and enchantment. People who have a softness of heart when they're 80, haven't been jaded by life. That's what I want when I'm that old. And Paul characterizes this kind of faith in our passage um, as one with great endurance, patience, and joy. In other words, a life worthy of the gospel. And the Colossian church needed this kind of faith because in AD 64, about 10 years, less than 10 years um, after this, this letter was written to them, a freak, accident, a freak earthquake destroyed the entire city of Colossae. And we don't know what happened to this community, but I think we can imagine what it was like to have your entire economy and your community and your society turned upside down and all your hopes and dreams thrown into utter chaos. Maybe it is not that hard to imagine. They needed a faith that could endure with patience and joy, with great endurance. And we, and this is the so what, we in the UK need this kind of faith because we are in a time of great shaking, and it isn't just about COVID and, and Russia. It's been a while, this time of shaking. You know, maybe you're like me and you enter the job market in a just post-Brexit world. And just as you were entering into the crucial years of your career, lockdown. And I'm sure many of us in here are feeling the financial squeeze right now. Everything's just a bit tighter. 10% is a really high inflation rate. And it takes its toll. I've certainly struggled with doubt and disillusionment of the last few years quite significantly because cynicism and, and becoming jaded is a great defense mechanism. So many things in our lives are corrosive to the kind of faith that will go the distance.
But in a time of great cultural and spiritual pressure, the world will be looking at the Christian church to actually see if it can deliver what it promises. To see if Jesus actually makes a difference. To see if it is full of people who are not just managing life or coping with life, but people who are drawing out something beautiful, living, lovely, and holy out of this chaos. People who are not just part of some holy club, nostalgically remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago, but people who are a renewing, dynamic, and powerful and healing presence in the world today. This could be us, and this really should be us. And the Holy Spirit makes the difference. And we can't do it alone, in our own strength, as individuals, or as, as human beings. It's why we need each other to encourage one another in the church. It's why we need to be attentive to those moments, like last Sunday, when something cuts through and lifts our eyes again. And it's above all, it's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us today need healing and renewing. And this isn't a call to arms or some kind of hype-up message. It's an invitation to be filled and continue being filled by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with the knowledge and the power of God. He wants to make the God of history into a present reality in your life. He wants to show you that he is at work in you and through you. And he wants to strengthen you to press on to live a life worthy of the gospel. I'm just gonna end now with um, reading the reading again as a prayer. So should we close our eyes and I'll just read this out again. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every good way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Amen.